Hello, kaiju lovers. This is Nathan Marchand, host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault, coming to you, OOC out of character, <laughs> to you know, it, consider this a bit of an interlude between seasons three and four. Season three to ended up taking twice as long as it should have. But, you know, we were able to crank out a lot of bonus content in the meantime for you this year. <laughs> I'm recording this, sitting in my parents' guest room, having spent the last several days visiting them for the holidays and making quite merry and all of that fun stuff. So I was coming on here because, uh, you know, there's a couple things I want to accomplish with this recording. One is to let everybody know that I am hard at work editing the, you know, the first few episodes, or first few recordings, I should say, of season four. To get that started, I've, I just finished, I'm about, uh, about two thirds of the way or so, excuse me, through the Super Inframan episode, which is going to be the season premiere. And let me tell you, patrons, <laughs> MIFV Max, oh, you've got some treats coming for you. Who? <laughs> I highly recommend those of you who haven't joined us on Patreon that you do so you can hear Danny and I talk about Super Infra Muppets. Yes, that was an actual conversation that we had. It's kind of weird rediscovering these things considering most of these recordings were done almost a year ago, so I've forgotten a lot about his stuff. You know, I've slept once since then, as I like to say. So it's been fun for me just going through and editing them, rediscovering them. And the other thing I was going to bring up is that I'm probably going to put this out on the first Wednesday of, oh, on the regular feed anyway, the first Wednesday of 2024 in January because... I'm still trying to take care of some last second things to make sure everything is ready for season four to get started. I got some fine tuning that I have to do and I have some of the, you know, some of the regulars who come on for the, you know, who come on for, you know, acting purposes. I'm still trying to collect lines from them and as usual, life uh, finds a way to <laughs> screw things up. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running into some minor delays with that. But I assure you, you know, I, I'm going to make sure that you're getting plenty of content. January is probably going to be very, very full this year. <laughs> because I've got lots of bonus content coming out as well. I'm going to have the Season 4 Prelude, which is going to be nothing but story. And speaking of that, that's the other thing that's going to be done a little bit differently starting in Season 4. I will be posting the story segments separately from the main episodes going forward. So, you know, considering most of those tend to either be cold opens or stingers, it won't affect too much. There's still going to be things like, you know, in the Inframan episode, spoiler warning, there will be a little cameo from Dr. Dorif, and that will be during the episode. So stuff like that, that's still going to happen. And, you know, and then the zany antics where we're making up stuff or referencing plot points from previous things, 
stuff like that. You know, the wild, how I got to the island stories. You know, those are all still going to be there. That's you know, that's the part of the the normal shtick of MIMV. But going forward, those major story segments are going to be separate. And the way I'm going to do it is that if there's supposed to be a cold open, that will be listed, you know, posted technically you know, like a minute or so before the main episode so that way when it comes up in your feed you can see you'll see that first if you want to hear it you can listen to it listen to the main episode and then if there is a stinger it won't be at the end of the credits it will be posted a minute after the main part of the episode it'll for one thing it'll be i think theoretically anyway it'll be good for the analytics but if there are any people out there who either don't realize that there's story segments going on or they're just not interested they're more interested in the actual film discussions then they don't have to wade through all of that stuff in order to get to the parts they actually want to plus podbean is weird about generating youtube versions of podcast episodes now it used to not really matter how long your episodes were and then they capped it in the last i think six months or so at least within the last year they've now put a three-hour cap on it and while mifv rarely gets that far it was a particular problem for me and michael on the power trip because the power trip is a marathon in case you didn't know we average three hours on that one so, you know, that made things a little bit frustrating over there. So I'm hoping to kind of curtail that a little bit. And, you know, it'll also give me, I think, a little bit more of a sense of, you know, how much people are invested in the stories, you know, the story portions of the podcast, which I'm not going to stop doing. I, I love it too much. The storyteller in me just has way too much fun with that. You know, the MIV is one of the few places where my analytical brain and my creative brain can actually play nice together. So that's definitely not going anywhere. So like I said, don't worry. We're not going to be, we should hopefully not be running into the snags that we did with season three where everything was being constantly delayed. Henshin men and the power trip are for the most part done at the moment. So I'm going to be focusing primarily in terms of my podcast output. I'm going to be focusing primarily on MIFV at this point. So that will be very nice. So you have that to look forward to. And in January, so like I said, we're going to have the prelude. We're going to have the Inframan episode. We'll have our first Godzilla Redux, which will be Son of Godzilla. And I brought my friend Neil Reby on for that one. We're also going to do a special bonus episode, you know, because there are five Wednesdays in January in 2024. I will be doing a the I, I will be doing a bonus episode with him because he decided to go nuts and jump to the joke $100 tier level <laughs> on MIFV because he really wants to be on the show. So we're going to be doing an episode on our on MIFV's very first Hammer Films movie. And it's not over, you know, like one of their Frankensteins or their Draculas or whatever. It's actually going to be something kind of harkens back to season one a little bit. We're going to be talking about the Abominable Snowman from the 1956, I believe it was, somewhere around their mid-50s, which 
you know, it hark, like I said, harkens back to season one because we talked about Half Human, and I think I may have mentioned that movie in my discussion, and that it's been a while since I've listened to that episode. So that should be great, and uh, that was by uh, that was a request. I should have mentioned this up front. That was a request by Matt Walsh, but not that Matt Walsh, as, as you've been hearing us joke on the podcast. So I, I you have a lot to look forward to in January. I think I'm only theoretically probably only going to have maybe one week off <laughs> from all this madness. But the main reason why I was doing this is because it dawned on me that with all the delays and everything that I've been dealing with, it would be good to catch up on some listener feedback because we have been getting a lot of listener feedback and I just felt like even though a lot of it has been getting discussed in the episodes that I have been recording with all the delays and everything, it just felt less relevant because of that. So... I have decided that I'm just going to play a little bit of catch up and I've got the, you know, I've got a lot of the feedback that's been coming in in the last year and I'm just going to go back through and review it and, you know, make sure it all gets addressed on the air. There's some interesting things in here. I'm hoping I'm getting everything and not repeating anything. It's been a, you know, it's been a hot minute. I need to probably come up with a way to art properly archive, not archive, but keep track of what I talk about and what I do talk about, what I don't talk about. So one of a lot of what we're going to be hearing about initially here goes, geez, some of it goes all the way back to technically to 2021. I'm just making sure, you know, I'm trying to catch all the things that were, you know, came out during the span of season three. And this was right before season three. And it's a lot of the early stuff, like I said, is going to be from Kyoe Toshi. Kyoe, if you're listening to this, I hope you've still been listening to MIFE. And I hope to get more feedback from you. I love getting feedback from you. <laughs> you uh, you're, you've given me some of my favorite feedback because you provide a lot of cultural insights that I, as an American... <laughs> just don't quite have despite all of my consumption of Japanese media and the research that I do, which I really appreciate that. And, you know, con considering that you've lived in America, you're bilingual and, you know, you, you, you live in a space where you can really talk about stuff. And I do still have funny theories about who you really are. Cause I know Kyo Toshi is not your actual name, but I'm going to keep those theories to myself. At least for now. All right. So here's a little something. This goes all the way. This technique goes back to the end of season two. So Gamera the Brave and her letter says, Gamera, little braves. Hello, Nathan. Just thought I'd let you know that, to that Toto's roar was stock FX from The Land Unknown from 1957. Also used in the Deadly Mantis from the same year, but pretty sure it originated with the Rex. That's interesting that you bring that up, Kyoe, because the Deadly Mantis is slated uh, to be covered thanks to Damon Noyes <laughs> as a Patreon episode. The Kong film in 76 also borrowed it. Peter Cullen might have done some sound for Kong, it's unconfirmed, but not the, to but not the Toto roar. Query, uh, query up King Kong roar, it's kind of amazing how many movies have used it. Yes, 
That is that is quite quite true. It was even used in Power Rangers, which is just really wild. So that thanks for that little insight. And then she has a a nice little letter here that it's kind of involved. So like I said, we're going to be doing a lot of catch up on uh, on this stuff. So strap in, folks. We're going to be here for a little while. Got another letter from her. This one was in January of 2022. She says, hello, Nathan. I am happy to see the focus on American kaiju films this year. For a lot of them, there isn't much information here. She's talking about Japan. And Giant Monster Messages was the only podcast really looking at them beyond the synopsis. I used to listen to all the English language kaiju pods when there were only five or six, but now there are way too many for that. Smiley face. There still are. There's even more now. They just... It's funny how Kaiju Cast wraps up and suddenly everybody and his Kaiju dog is trying to jump in to fill that gap, myself included. I have over 60 on my phone that I'm subscribed to, no exaggeration. And that's not including the ones that no longer produce anything, at least another 20 or 30. And ones that cover Toku, like Ultra, Rider, and Sentai, are even more numerous than that. Yeah, I know. I ran two of them for a while. Since, uh, uh, since of course, I'm also listening to Japanese Toku, uh, t- Japanese kaiju pods, way fewer. Most genre pods uh, here focus on Toku in general rather than focusing on kaiju, which reflects the different approach to fandom in the East and West. Very true. <laughs> that was something that came up. I didn't mention this at the beginning. I, I had an email from from a website called Feedspot that said that I was number two on the top 10 tokusatsu podcast, but I was not on the kaiju list, which just confused me. But yeah, that's a... And but and that was MIFE, but Power Trip and Henshimen weren't on, weren't on either of them. So it's, I don't understand how it works. I have a friend who you know was also on the list, and he was making a big deal about it. And I'm like, "Good for you! I just want whatever this is to be legitimate." So I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, that limits what I can listen to. So I only try to keep up with MVM. Good choice. Giant Monster Messages, Mazer Patrol. I need to start listening to them. Parts of Tokyo Lives. Three to four hour eps are a little much. And your show, thank you, along with eps uh, from the other kaiju pods where the subject interests me. G-Force and Odo Island are good too. I've listened to them a little bit. I do try to listen to at least one episode from every pod just in case it's doing the kind of thing I'm looking for. But sadly, most are just recapping the films and trying to constantly be comedians. Well... We don't spend a lot of time summarizing the movies here, but we do try to be really funny. I will admit that. We, we do try really hard to be funny, but, you know, this is why the tagline for the show is seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. Because, you know, we're trying to have a little bit of fun, but we're also trying to take these things seriously as well. So, oh, and then she had a, a website inquiry that, you know, the, <laughs> she jokes, says, uh, there was... There was a page. I don't run the website like this anymore, but there was a page for the you know the notes for Gamera the Brave was password protected, and she wanted to know if there was some cool hidden there like Gamera for Truth. I can dream, right? Yeah, we can all dream. <laughs> Although there was a clip of it that made it onto YouTube, and she says, "I hope you have a wonderful year of the Taiga." Yeah, and then I told her, I talked to her, you know, I responded to her about that. Let me see, is there anything else relevant? Nope, that's all there is there. 
And let me see. So that was just kind of for general feedback on Amerikaiju. And then this was something, oh, let me see. Oh, what episode was this from? I think it was, I don't quite remember. Well, it was an early episode. There was an episode at some point around then where I was talking about the whole thing with the Japanese taking their shoes off in you know, basically all the media that I'd seen. So she was responding to that and offered some clarification, which I really appreciated. She says, hello, Nathan. Happy to report that your reporting on shoes and suicide in the latest ep was just fine. Smiley face. Oh, winky face. It covered the general philosophy well. The Gencon, the entry where you actually take off and place your shoes, is considered outside and not part of the house for reasons for the reasons you cited, even though it is inside. For a more practical for a more practical reason, lots of houses in Japan used to, and still do, use tatami mats for flooring, and we sit on the floor a lot as well. Tatami mats are expensive and a real pain to clean, and you don't want some slob tracking mud all over a bunch of them. And of course, no one wants the floor to be dirty when you're sitting or they're eating on it, gathered around a kotatsu in winter, putting down a futon, gaming, or fooling around. So, removing shoes keeps all the dirt, mud, and other stuff off your floor. In big apartment buildings, it also makes things a lot quieter for the people living beneath you. As someone who lives in a downstairs apartment, I know that all too well. Trust me. The the patrons, the MIFE Max members on Patreon have heard me make... At least I think... Maybe I haven't started posting those yet, but you'll be hearing me make reference a lot to really loud neighbors upstairs in the cut audio, the, the blooper reels. So it's a, so it's win-win for, from a practical and philosophical viewpoint. As to Inoshiro Honda, I'm guessing this was probably for a Godzilla Redux episode. That name is used because it's a variant reading and more common than the accepted one for Honda of the kanji Honda used for his name. As you know, virtually every kanji character in Japanese has different pronunciations, sometimes up to 18 or more if you're using the, and hopefully I say this right, Jinmeiyu uh, Jin kanji. That's why name cards and business cards are important here. They contain a kana gloss for the kanji in your name so people you just met will know how to pronounce it properly. Inoshiro isn't necessarily wrong. There are video and interviews with Honda where people use Inoshiro and he's fine with it, so it's possible he used both. I would comment on the symbology of the characters in question, and she has them here, as being perfect for Honda considering his treatment of comfort women in the Great Pacific War. It's the base for wild boar slash pig, but that's another. Uh, that's a matter for another day. Have a great Torah, Torah, Torah year. Yeah, and I'm not getting into the whole... You know, Honda and the comfort women thing. I have my opinions on it. I think there are certain people in the fandom who have blown it way out of proportion. I'm not condoning the comfort women in any way, shape, or form, but I do think Honda found himself in a very difficult situation. I have been trying to figure out for a while what the penalty for insubordination was in the Japanese imperial military during World War II, I haven't any way to confirm it, but given what I know from my study of history, I'm going to say it was probably death. So I, I'm looking at it thinking Honda's in a very difficult position when it comes to the 
that entire issue, but you know, I'll leave it at that for now. So the the uh, so I asked her, you know, with the whole Inoshiro thing, you know, do the Japanese take the meanings and symbolism of names really seriously? And she said, it depends. You usually pick auspicious kanji for a name. There are government-approved kanji for names, so odd people don't name their kids Oni or Demon or things like that. People go to fortune tellers, Shinto priests, or Buddhist monks to help them choose. You don't really take a name literally in everyday life, like depending on kanji, Ayako can mean shining child. Nobody is going to think that Ayako is just a name, just like in English, you don't expect Mr. Black to be black. But it's often thought you can see a person's character in their kanji. This really takes hold with anime and manga characters. Their names will almost always be clues to their personalities. Speaking as a writer, I do stuff like that all the time. It's not just a you know, an anime or manga thing. I wrote a bit about this for the singular point characters, especially May's family named Kamino. I know this is a little vague, but it, but is in keeping with the subtle nature of the Japanese language. Often you'll see people, especially women, use kana in, uh, instead for their given name if they don't like the kanji or just to cut to the chase if it's a real obscure reading. Inoshiro would be a tough warrior name for boys, pretty typical for the time period Honda was born. A wild boar would fully be Inoshi, Inoshishi, and it's all contained in the, and she shows the kanji here, in Honda's given name. But because of variant kanji readings, it can also read as I, Ino, or other things. Hope that makes more sense. And I said thank you for uh, for Sam, for explaining all that to me. So that was a great little conversation we had there. And then, sometime later, let me see. She, yeah, uh, this was in July. She sent some feedback regarding the Cloverfield episode. She was asking for some of the sources. She loves studying these things and if I use sources that are behind paywalls, she she asked for them, and I'm you know, and I generously share them with her. And then she you know had this little bit of feedback to offer on the episode and the film itself. I find it so fascinating that the two most realistic slash impactful kaiju films, fifty four is in Godzilla fifty four might be in there too, are built around and reflect national trauma, three eleven, Shin and nine eleven. I saw Cloverfield in the theater, and it was absolutely terrifying the first time I saw it, although, like most found footage films, it does lose some impact on subsequent viewings, especially the scene where they stumble into the army fighting with Clover. Don't know if we'll ever see a more realistic portrayal of what a real-life kaiju attack would be like. As always, thank you so much. Yeah. Very true, Kyoe. Very, very true. And then... You know, because you know the the YouTube channel with the YouTube versions of the episodes, we get a little bit more traction in the last year. I you know I, you know I've got some here to talk about. This is from episode seventy one, which was Invasion of Astro Monster, which had the Dapper Man on it. Username General Ursus. We got a new Planet of the Apes movie coming out, so that's kind of appropriate. Invasion of Astro Monster is one of my favorite kaiju flicks from the Showa era. I first saw this movie under the title Monster Zero at the local drive-in when I was a kid. That's the title most of us of a certain age saw it under. <laughs> I saw it on 
VHS originally under the title Godzilla vs. Monster Zero. It played as part of a double feature alongside Terror Beneath the Sea, which starred Sunny Chiba. It was made... Oh, it made for a solid evening of entertainment. It sounds like it. I would have had a good time with that for sure. And then... Oh, wait. Well, this is all over the place, isn't it? Oh, man. And then we got... Well, no, it's not. All right. And then we have some feedback here. This is from about a year ago from one of my biggest fans now biggest fans of everything i do christopher reiner who just eats up anything and everything that i do i need to talk with him again it's been a little bit so he sent some feedback in hilariously it says hello to the kijv studios kijv with are we a Bible podcast now? K-I-J-V? What? I know he meant K-I-J-U, but oh well. All right, he says, hello, Nathan and Jimmy. Well, Jimmy's not here today. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have been bring, uh, I have been binging through MIV and recently came across MIV Max number nine bonus Patreon bullcrap. Oh, I thought I was clever with that. And I have a few thoughts to share. First, the Star Wars prequels are better than the sequels. Fight me, Jimmy. If he was here, he would definitely fight you. For sure. Oh, that would be so triggering. Second, you and Danny talking about a modern take on Jet Jaguar, and it got my weird little brain a churning. Here is how I would adapt Jet Jaguar for the MonsterVerse. As more Titans keep appearing, monarch and governments around the world are getting more and more nervous. They get the idea of instead of trying to find ways to control Kaiju, they will try to find a way to make a human as powerful as a Kaiju. I would have a jet fighter pilot with with the call sign Jaguar volunteer for the project in Steve Rogers kind of fashion. They outfit him with, uh, they outfit him in the jet Jaguar suit that is supposed to allow a human to grow to the size of a Kaiju. Instead of, instead the helmet is a modified Orca translator that would help him be able to communicate with Kaiju. So he would determine if they are friend or foe and hopefully avoid unnecessary battles. The suit works, but there is a catch. It hurts a lot and it, puts a strain on his internal organs so they start to fail and have to be replaced with cybernetics. This would take place over the course of several movies. He would end up befriending some of the kaiju like Godzilla, Kong, Mothra, etc., and help to defeat others. However, the more he uses the suit, the more machine he is forced to become until at last in a battle, in a battle, his brain would, oh, which is the only organic part he has left, gives out and falls and he falls over, which causes great rage and sadness among his kaiju friends. However, Monarch has been planning for this and has been copying his brain frequencies into his cybernetic brain, which they put in the now fully robot. Oh, which they put in the now fully robot. Okay. When Jet Jaguar next appears, the kaiju realize he is not the same and does not trust the AI. Oh, AI jet, which would create conflict for the new jet to overcome as he tries to fulfill his mission. This would start Jet's journey to trying to figure himself out since he has all of the original's memories and quote-unquote feelings and yet is not human. It would be a good human story to connect the audience to the movies. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. So I mentioned in, when I, you know, when, in the original recording where I talked about this that this was Jet Jaguar by way of RoboCop which I actually like. I think this is an interesting idea, to say the least. 
And yeah. oh, geez, this was this actually published? This might have actually gotten published. I'm not sure, but you know, it's similar. I like the idea. You might want to not do it over the course of several movies. It, you you might have to pick up the pace a little bit on that. Although, given the recent things that we've seen in the Monarch show, it might it would it, it would certainly be it would certainly make sense. You know, it seems like a logical continuation of the technology that they've been using and how they've been using it. But I was always thinking that you know the way I would do Jet Jaguar in the MonsterVerse was to you know, was to skip the human part here and actually make it a benevolent AI who befriends a kid, so you can have. Uh, Roxanne, you don't have to wear that red dress from the uh, from the original movie, and then he downloads himself into a new mecca to protect the boy because he's worried about him getting hurt by kaiju and you know and stuff like that. All right, so we go on to this next one. Someone, this was on the MIFV Max Christmas episode last year with my sister. Or someone just said Boris Karloff is greater than Jim Carrey. You're talking about the Grinch. Yeah, you would. Uh, those would be fighting voids with my sister. And then on the MIFV Max, also from last year on Netflix's Troll, we had Neon Riley, who's actually Neil, says another good episode. You did a masterful job reigning in your unruly guests. Oh my gosh, let me tell you, you get Michael and Danny together. They're fine by themselves. I can handle them by themselves. You get them in the same room. Oh, oh, it's, I, I would have an easier time hurting cats. <laughs> Meow. All right. And then this was from January of this year where we did an MIFE Max on uh, the Shin God, uh, Shin, not Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman, where we interviewed the gentleman who runs Ultraman Connection, which was very exciting. Very, very exciting, Mr. Gomez. And then we have, this guy's been watching a lot of the video game streams that I've been doing on the YouTube channel. It's uh, Epic Ace Studios, and for talking about Shin Ultraman, he says, I dislike this movie. I say, oh, I say it's overhyped. Thought it, uh, thought it, would be good. However, this didn't feel fully like Ultraman. We got one kaiju fight against him, and the other fight felt like Ultraman fighting what I'll call Ultra Clones. Tokusatsu is cool. However, we are watching a CGI Ultraman movie. You would think they'd have more of them to flex the CGI. It felt meh. The one thing I can say was good is Ultraman himself with in the film. I disagree with that. I know there's still a big pushback against the use of CGI in Tokusatsu, but unfortunately, I just, unless it's TV, you're just, I mean, Minus One really showed us that, you know, there's no going back at this point, but Minus One also really used the CGI incredibly well. And there were, there were two kaiju fights in there, and then there were two aliens. Well... Two, no, it's more like three, three aliens. You know, Zeton was, you know, Zeton was weird. That didn't really feel like the action finale. I will say that. So there was a lot. I mean, there's going to be a proper full length episode. If you join MIFV Max, you can hear me, Danny, 
and Michael and Damon talking about Shin Ultraman, but I will be, that's just kind of like an initial reaction sort of a, you know, sort of thing. There will be a proper episode on it. The, in an upcoming season, I've already announced that announced that in the anniversary special, we will be uh, season five in 2025 will be on Ultraman movies, which I'm pretty excited about. So, you know, there, and that will be part of that. So I will be doing a full length episode on that. And I, I guess, so I could basically all that to say, I disagree with that. I understand the criticism, but you know, you're not getting away from the CGI. It's here to stay. And you know, was the CJ always great in Shin Ultraman? No, but you know, it was still done with mocap, you know, and that was the original Ben Furuya, the original suit actor who was doing it. And I don't care what anyone says, motion capture is the new suitmation. If Haro Nakajima was still alive and still playing kaiju, still doing the quote unquote suit acting thing, he would love motion capture because he has, doesn't have to carry 200 pounds of rubber on himself and he can still do his performance. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Oh, and in light of that, all right, you know, rest in peace. Kempichiro Satsuma. I'm so glad I got to meet you. Oh man. I, I really, oh, geez, Danny and I are going to have to do, you know, a, a double tribute episode because of that, because we lost both Kempichiro Satsuma and the, the woman who wrote, Terror of Mechagodzilla. It's just, man, what a year. All right. What a year. All right. Let me see. And then here's another one from Epic Ace on episode 74 when I had Chris Cook on to talk about Power Rangers 2017, which was the second time that in that year that I talked about that movie. You know, although I talked about MMPR the movie three times in one year. Three different podcasts. All right. He says, if I could redo this movie, I would keep Rita in the horror genre and Rangers in action-based. They eventually cross them over at the end. Goldar would basically be, uh, basically be also horror aesthetic. And the Megazord uh, would reflect a Pacific Rim design. Oh, and take out the Krispy Kreme. That was dumb. No, the Krispy Kreme was funny. The Krispy Kreme was funny. It was a joke. And unfortunately, I don't think the joke registered for everybody. They just thought it was a, a blatant product placement. And to a certain extent, it was. But the whole idea is that the super powerful MacGuffin that can end the world is under something completely innocuous and mundane. Okay. Now, perhaps they should have just called, it should have just been like a local diner or something. And it was called Ernie's. That would have been a great Easter egg if you're a Power Rangers fan. But still, but still. All right. So let me see. And then we have some feedback here from Luke Giaconetti of the uh, of Earth Destruction Directive, one of my favorite kaiju podcasts, where he was writing about Ebero Horror of the Deep. And he says, Nathan, recently listened to your Godzilla Redux coverage of Ebero Horror of the Deep, which will forever be Godzilla versus the Sea Monster to me. That's what it was for me, too, for a long time. Growing up in the 1980s, Sea Monster was fairly common on television, and the VHS was almost as common as the legendary Good Times King Kong versus Godzilla tape. Oh, man, yeah, where they photoshopped completely unrelated 
versions of both characters into the oh my gosh that is kind of an epic cover <laughs> it's a, it sits upon a throne of lies but still epic for many years it was not a film which i particularly enjoyed my earliest exposure to godzilla came at approximately age four when i saw godzilla king of the monsters Ghidorah the three-headed monster Rodan and Godzilla versus Monster Zero. Yeah, we talked about that because Luke has, not Jack, Luke has been on, Jack O'Nenny, but Luke has been on the show a few times and he's shared this story. Given that introduction, it was not too surprising that the Island movies did not hold the same level of appeal. Oh, sure, I like them. And if they were on Super Scary Saturdays with grandpa on the superstation wtbs or captain video also oh, over on over on at usa network i would gladly watch them but i definitely rank them below these earlier films while i do consider those pre-island films to be superior i have come to appreciate sea monster much more in the intervening years the change in setting creative team pacing and tone of the film do a good job of differentiating it from the early entries and give it a unique atmosphere the film has a very summary a summary summer e like the the season light nature making for an easygoing viewing experience which would be repeated again in son of godzilla another film i have critically reevaluated as i have gotten older that happens to all of us with a lot of these i'm noticing it is still true that ever is not much of a threat to godzilla but i have come to view this film as godzilla dealing with a lot of enemies as i said when i covered the film on earth destruction directive in this entry godzilla battles a condor a crustacean and communists I love the alliteration there. Communist! <laughs> Godzilla versus communism! That's somebody's academic essay. It might end up being my academic essay. <laughs> Although, actually, no, I actually have read essays that, you know, that deal with that. Thinking of you, Alex Rushdie. He actually wrote something that was kind of like that for this movie. All in a day's work for the King of the Monsters. As my brother Jason has said before, somewhere on some alternate universe, this was the start of Toho's King Kong series. And to that, I say, man, I'd like to visit that universe. King Kong would have worked really well in this film, and Ebra is certainly a threat to the mammalian Kong, as we saw in Godzilla vs. Kong during the battle at sea. But we don't live in that universe. We live in our own universe. And all things considered, Godzilla versus the sea, or excuse me, Ebra Horror of the Deep remains a worthwhile, entertaining entry in the Godzilla series. In closing, all I can say is fix that whoop whoop noise. <laughs> Thanks, Luke, host of Earth Destruction Directed Podcast. <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. Should have, I should, uh, should hit my mute button for that. Uh, uh, mm, now coughs are so rude but anyway i agree with what you're saying and th that was a really fun episode too i had the matters on and brendan uh, brendan morley of autistic lizard productions it was just a really great episode overall and i i can't remember exactly where i was in my quest to see all the godzilla films when i came across that one i i got the vhs of it that had that painted cover that with the very Heisei looking Godzilla blowing fire at an Ebra that was crawling into frame. It was barely on frame and it was just traditional fire. It wasn't blue or anything. And I ended up buying a new copy of that because I discovered that 
the uh, the new DVD doesn't have the the dub I grew up with, and that upset me a little bit. And trying to track down some old VHSs with with you know, these kind of lost dubs at this point, almost lost dubs. Never never thought I would still be trying to get my mitts on VHS tapes at this point in my life. Regardless, regardless. I do think those dubs should be preserved, by the way, just for the sake of history. So hold on to those VHSs, people. But no, uh, I really, the more I watch this one, the more fun it gets. It's a nice shift. I, the characters in that are really fun. It's one of my favorite Akira Takarada performances. I love his character in this. He, you know, he was described as the Cary Grant of Japan, and this was a very Cary Grant kind of honorable thief kind of role. But the wild thing to think about is that as far as I can tell, all they really did, because this was originally supposed to be a Kong film, and I do think it would work better as a Kong film, but what really gets to me is, I mean, if all they did was just, you know, like you would do in a, my phone went off, like you would do, and you know, on a computer, if you're working on the script, if you just go find replace and just have it replace King Kong or Kong with Godzilla, that means Kong could have met Mothra. I said that in the episode. It's just a wild idea to think about. And I do wonder what a series of Kong films made by Toho would have looked like, or if it would have, if it would have lasted. I mean, it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting questions to try to play around with. It, you know, with that just ridiculous idea. Absolutely ridiculous idea. All right. And then I have a little something here. And this is, this has to do with the, the Skull Island anime, uh, quote unquote anime. This is from Diego D who sent feedback before. And he politely reminded me that I owed him a copy of my, of my just a kaiju novella destroyer, which I co-wrote with, Nick and Natasha Hayden, Timothy Deal, which you should definitely go out and pick up a copy of that. I even read a chapter in a previous season one bonus episode. So definitely go check that out. But I did send him the book finally, and I sent him a little bonus. I sent him in a copy of another book I co-wrote with Nick and also our friend Aaron Brosman came out of the same project as Destroyer. It's called Zorzum and the God Who Devours, which was published by Wild Hunt Press. You should also go get that one. If you like Conan the Barbarian, uh-huh, Zorzum is cooler than Conan, if I do say so myself. Basically, it's Conan meets Tarzan meets Samson. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it works. Anyway, back to the email. He says, good day. And I have to say, another thing that was nice about getting this email is that it showed me that apparently... A lot of emails that have been getting sent to me, which is to the old email address, which I am, I'm dropping that now. You know, people still use, I'll still let it stay active, but the whole feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com, it's been a little bit troublesome with that. It keeps getting sent to the spam folder. You know, whenever somebody emails that, and then it gets sent to the podcast's regular email. So... You know, I, from now on, just send it to monsterislandfilmvault at gmail.com, please. That's how I'm going to change that in the in the credits for the next episode because I'm wondering if I lost some because they got sent to the spam folder and I didn't check. Because that's I had to fish this email out of the spam folder. Anyway, 
He says, good day. This past week's weekend, I got around to watching all of Skull Island and listened to your podcast with the Cellcast finally. While I agree that the series was unbalanced, weird, unexplainable, and also fun at times, I'm not sure what to make of your it says comment that says rant regarding girl uh, boss girls and no one and no one wanting to see them. This is going to be an interesting one, folks. Strap in. Yes, there is no way a kid left alone with a dog at the age of three should have mastery of English, lore, and medicine of multiple mystical islands. But for that kid to grow up and be self-centered and a putz, no one is perfect. For Charlie or the other forgettable teenager to go gaga over the first girl he's is seen since he's been on a boat for months, hormones will do that. Okay, I'll grant you that. Back to the boss girl comment. Is it because you have issues with your quote-unquote pseudo-sister and just going on with a bit, or do they have a reason for, or do you have a reason for the comment? What examples of boss girl in TV movies set you back? Ahsoka, Alita, Mothra, Min Kwan, Laura Croft, Peggy Carter, Scarlet Witch, Laiha Toba? Other than that, I wish you well, and in no way am I writing because I still haven't received my copy of the book. I... I was bribed for being one of your first people to put a review in iTunes. Yeah. Oh, and he says, hi, Jimmy. Uh, (laughs) But no, I did make sure to uh, get him his book. Uh, Oh, and he also congratulated me in one of his replies on four years of work. He doesn't remember when he started listening to uh, to, uh, to the podcast, but he's pretty sure it was because the pandemic was most likely just after KaijuCast had done their final show. All right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I should probably... I should probably write something uh, write something about this. But this whole strong female character, girl boss, whatever you want to call it. It this is a character archetype that has become all too common in Hollywood productions lately and people are most people are just not responding to it because they find these characters insufferable. And you know, if you want to use a term like Mary Sue, which I do think applies to th- this girl in Skull Island, it's not so much... Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of videos and read a lot of you know from people who talk about this concept, and what people tend to latch onto are more the symptoms of the core issue because people just latch on to how hyper competent they are, how everyone loves them unless they're the bad guy and you know, all of these things. But those are just, like I said, those are just symptoms of the issue. The real problem is that these boss babe characters, you know, these Mary Sue's break the story and bend the plot around them to the point where, everything just becomes easy. And when you make things easy, it makes the characters unlikable and it makes the stories boring. So it's bad storytelling. You need to make your characters, your heroes, overcome tremendous odds in order to be successful, in order to get people invested. If everything is easy for them, then no one is going to care. That's what you do for villains. You put the odds in favor of the villains because they are the obstacle that must be overcome. And unfortunately, a lot of these heroines are 
written like villains, which is why people, most people, I'll qualify it, why most people don't like them. And this girl in Skull Island is insufferable. She's incredibly rude. And I mean, I can, if you really want to hear the diatribe, you can just go listen to that episode. But I will clarify that, you know, if they had humbled her, if they had made her go on a journey where she's like, okay, I can't just keep acting like this, you know, because this is just not how people typically act because I have been away for a really long time. I've been surviving. It's hardened me. Like, there needs to be a level of self-awareness with her and a level of growth from her, and we didn't see that. She was insufferable the entire time, and I don't understand how even if Charlie, as a, even if he is a hormonal teenager, even if he thought she was pretty or whatever, and he's like, oh my gosh, the first girl I've seen in months, I get it. I'm a guy. I understand that. I used to be a teenage boy. Some people still think I act like a teenage boy, but... I understand that. I get it. Hormones will do stuff like that to you. But I would think her insufferability would kill that attraction if you are a, a even have a remote amount of sense in you. You know, and if not, then Charlie is the biggest idiot I've ever seen. I'm just saying. You know, so there's just a lot of things that just don't ring true with this. And you know, and the other examples that you brought up in there I would not classify a lot of them under the quote unquote boss girl umbrella, you know, as people have come to understand them. You know, Ahsoka, I know some people argue that she's a quote unquote Mary Sue. I don't know if I would quite go there. I do think that there is there is a possibility she might end up there. You know, depending on how she gets handled. And I haven't watched the Ahsoka show yet, but I've heard mixed responses to it. And I've heard some arguments saying that she might be getting trended in that direction. Alita of Alita Battle Angel, she's not a boss babe. Not She's not a boss babe at all. She's as traditional a superheroine as you can get. And I don't care what anyone says. You know, there were people who were flipping out because she looked traditional. You know, she be- looked and, betr- and behaved traditionally feminine in the show. You know, and she dared have an athletic body and everything. And, you know, and that's you know objectifying her. Blah blah blah. I was like, no, she's giving herself. She's a mach- she is an android. Admittedly, she's giving herself the kind of human body that would be necessary to do all of the flip de doos and martial arts moves that she's got to do because she's got to do the action heroin stuff. It's just how it works. Unless there's ridiculous superpowers compensating for it, I, you know, an out-of-shape woman is not going to be able to be an action hero. You know? And I know that there are exceptions you know, that you can point to where, again, thanks to superpowers, you know, it's offset, but still. You need to have the appropriate physicality in order to do it. And then let me see what's it. Mothra? I never, I've never once thought of Mothra as a boss babe. Never. Never. Mothra doesn't fit that at all. She's a benevolent goddess. You know, and a mother. Because she mothers the, the larva. And she's self-sacrificial and all that. She is as opposite of that idea as you can get. 
uh, Ming Kwan. Oh, man, now I'm going to have to do research to remind myself who all these characters are. Let's see. Ming Kwan. I know the name sounds familiar. I should know who she is. Ming Kwan. The Oh! Oh, uh, fr- that's why the name sounds from. I, I I need to turn in my nerd card. Yeah, from Power uh, from Power Rangers, once and always. No, she's not, because she goes through an actual hero's journey. Yeah, she's being, you know, she's being held back by her father figures because they don't want her getting involved in something that they think is dangerous, and you know, and because they don't want her going down the path of revenge because they know that that can and will destroy her, even though she is competent. She trains herself, and she's trained, implicitly, it seems, is trained by her father figures in bit with Billy and with Zach, and we presumably even from her mother, who was Trini, before she died. You know, So I, her competency, I don't mind. But look what happens over the course of that special. She does get reprimanded for being disobedient and for running headlong into a situation he has no business being in. And she is reminded, if you want to be a ranger, if you want to be a hero, you have to be virtuous. And one of those is putting aside your selfish desires and putting aside revenge to do the right thing. And then when we get to the end of the special... You know, and then she tries several times to use her mother's morpher and it doesn't work. The implication in my personal interpretation being her mother is saying, you're not there yet. You're not ready because you still are out for yourself. You're still out for revenge. And then what happens at the end? She has a moment of self-sacrifice. She gets a spoiler warning. She gets them and the morpher works. She inherits her mother's mantle and becomes a power ranger. That's... She earned that. It wasn't handed to her as usually happens with these so-called boss babes. All right. All of you know, her powers, her you know, the respect that she has from the other characters, all of that, that was earned. Because that is a key difference between a quote-unquote strong female character, boss babe or whatever, is they just by existing, they're supposed to be given accolades and respect. No, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. So Ming Kwan, nope, not there. Laura Croft. I admit that I don't know enough about Laura Croft to really comment. I know that there is a big controversy now concerning the original Laura Croft, who was this buxom bombshell, and the newer one who's more of a who's more of a girl next door sort of thing. I have played the games a little bit. I've seen the Angelina Jolie movies. I haven't seen the new one yet. So I don't know how to, what to comment on with that. My understanding is that the original Laura Croft is, you know, has her foibles. You know, she tends to run it. She's reckless and just runs into danger and things like that. So I'm not bothered so much about that. More people talk about the new Laura Croft more from the perspective of them. Not that she's a boss babe, but because they feel like they are denigrating the character and, you know, taking away her femininity. So, but not in a boss babe sort of a way that just making her more masculine and a little bit pathetic stuff like that Peggy Carter I don't mind Peggy Carter at all I love Peggy I think Peggy is great 
Peggy was a great supporting character. And if we're just going to talk about the about not the comic book version, but we're going to talk about the MCU version, she was great in the cap, you know, in those Captain America movies. She was a wonderful match for Steve Rogers. I was rooting for them. She's a strong-willed woman for sure, but she's not disrespectful, and she does. She's competing with a bunch of men for sure, but she's not neglecting her femininity. She is more than happy to you know, to help Steve and she falls in love with, she falls in love with who Steve really is. She doesn't fall in love with him for being the muscle bound superhero because she realized that Steve was a hero before he got the injection and before he got the super soldier serum. And then you look at her in her show and she's great in that she's mourning the loss of Steve. She's wondering, you know, you know, she wants to connect with another man you know, she has actual emotion. She behaves like a real person. That's the other problem. That's the problem with the girl from Skull Island. That's the problem with these boss babe sort of characters. They tend to act robotic. The, the, I know this is the go-to example, but it's the easiest example, the most prominent example I can point to. But you look at not Captain, Car- not Captain Carter, not Peggy Carter. Oh, Captain Carter is technically a separate character. But anyway, not Peggy. You know, but you look at Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers. I went into that movie. I wanted it to be good. I really did want it to be good. I had my concerns. I wasn't jumping onto the extremist bandwagons that were on both sides of the issue, but I wanted it to be good. I was willing to accept it as a good story, as a good film. And I didn't think it was great, up until about the last 20 or 30 minutes, but I thought it was it was okay enough. And then it lost me when she unlocked the full potential of her powers and just mopped the floor with everybody. And I'm like, this is, I, I am checked out because I don't care. She's just winning. And then the movie had the audacity to tease me with her potentially fighting the, the what is uh Oh, I can't remember his name. He was the bad guy in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Ah, frick. But, you know, because we I, we'd seen him before. We knew he was tough. He could hold an infinity gem and not die. All that sort of stuff. It's going to bug me till I remember his name. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to look it up because I need to, one, I need to get my nerd card back and two, I need to at least make it look like I know what the heck I am talking about. Let me see. I'm going to kick myself. As soon as I see his name, I'm just going to kick myself. Let's see. Ronan. Ronan the Accuser. That's what it was. Ronan the Accuser. I knew it was something kind of Japanese sounding. But anyway. And that so they tease us with that. And then he runs away because she cracked her knuckles, ran away like a puppy with his legs between with his tail between his legs. I don't care. I really don't care. I you know, and that's so that's that's what wrecked it for me at that point. I just I couldn't get into it. So all of that to say, all of that to say, you know, Peggy is nowhere close to that. Scarlet Witch. 
I, I never felt like that about Scarlet Witch. If, I'm assuming you're talking about the MCU version because I've read the comic, some comics with her in it, and she wasn't like that at all either. I mean, even if you look at her in the MCU, I don't know people take issues with how she was handled in with in a WandaVision, but what is what does she ultimately want? She wants to be a wife and a mother. You know, the whole thing, she does everything in WandaVision because she wants kids. She wants that pick, traditional picket fence lifestyle. And yeah, you know, like I said, there's there's issues with how that was implemented, you know, in the last couple of episodes. But that's that's about as traditional as you can possibly get, which modern girl bosses don't really want. That's the problem. Or at least they act like they don't when they really do. Showing a little bit of, you know, my <laughs> a little bit of my own personal philosophies there. And then Laiha Toba? I have to look that one up. I don't know that one. Forgive me, for I do not know who this is. All right. So let's see. Oh, Laiha Toba, the swordswoman and main heroine of Ultraman Jeed. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. She looks pretty. I gotta say that. Oh, man. She looks very pretty. <laughs> some of these. Got some interesting little bits of fan art here. Huh. 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 I have a feeling I would like her. I haven't seen Ultraman Jeed yet, so can't really comment there. So I hope that answers your question to a certain extent. I mean, I've been going... I'm getting pretty extensive into this, and I'm sure I'm going to get at least a little bit of pushback for it. But, you know, this is where I stand on it. You know, I, I'm trying not to get into it from a necessarily a political standpoint, you know, a little bit of a philosophical standpoint, but it really just boils down to just poor storytelling. And I would say this, let me preface this by saying, I would say this, about a character regardless of gender. There, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Skull Island coverage or not, but there is a character in who is male who I feel the exact same way about. You know, you, I think in this case you would call him a Gary Stu, but, and this is a hot take for some people. This is a really major hot take for some people, but I can't remember his name now suddenly. I hate him so much. I, I I completely forgot his name. Hold on a second. But it's the protagonist from Ready Player One. Because I do not like that book. I do not like that book at all. The only reason I even bothered to finish reading it was because I was listening to a podcast with Mike Nelson and one of his writers for Rift Tracks where they were just making fun of it. So, you know, which was the only reason I could even get into it because main, the main reason being, let's see, Parzival, that's right. Wade Owen Watts or Parzival. It's because Parzival is insufferable. Holy crap, it's, he is insufferable. You know, and there were a lot of other problems I had with the book, but the main thing was that he was insufferable. He was hyper-competent. He, he had the combined nerdy knowledge of me and like my five nerdiest friends. It made no sense. It was absolutely insane. And it just, you know, I, I could do an entire rant master on that book. Don't get me started. So, like I said, it's not 
This is not based purely on gender. It's just that, unfortunately, it's become all too common with female characters. All right? Okay. I hope I have explained myself well enough to you for that. Like I said, if you really want to hear more, go check out the episode on it, and you'll you'll get a a more thorough examination of it. And then, uh, this is interesting. I, I ha- I've kind of been doing this quietly and I still need to finish doing this, but I have also been starting to upload the episodes, the, you know, the YouTube versions of the episodes also onto rumble. And then out of nowhere, I got a comment on rumble. I haven't really been promoting it much over there on rumble. It's just there, but somebody found it and listened to it. <laughs> And left a comment on episode 68. You know, a guy by the name of Alaskan Marxist, which I'm assuming is meant to be ironic, given what he writes here. But, quote, I've been listening to most of this so far, and I'm actually writing a story that is supposed to be a direct sequel to this movie, Cloverfield. But I'm actually trying to tie it to the real-life war on terror and the endless wars we keep getting ourselves into. I'm trying to include themes of extreme government corruption and conspiracies. It's a very ambitious project, but I'm feeling hopeful about it. That sounds exciting to me. I'd love to see some stuff like that. I'm not opposed to politics being covered in tokusatsu and kaiju, even having political themes, you know, look at Shin Godzilla. I think it works pretty effectively there, you know. So, I and it's in Cloverfield, but it's more implied than anything else. So, I would be really curious to see how you're going to make something like that work, you know. And would Clover still be in it? Would there be monsters in it? That could be really interesting. So, that's the most recent bit of feedback that I, that I have received. However, I am going to... See, here's the correct app. I'm going to go check on the comments that I have been seeing on. I'm going to go check to make sure that, you know, I uh, there are some other YouTube comments that I make sure I cover in here. Okay, so just to make sure I've, you know, I've covered everything because it's possible I haven't. All right. Uh, Dune Boone on episode 57 on Rodan, which had Kaiju Kim. It's interesting that you have pointed out that Rodan seems like two movies. When I first saw the movie on TV, I missed the first half. By then, the Mega Neuron were no longer a part of the story. The second time I saw the movie, I saw it from the beginning. The whole subplot around the Mega Neuron made me wonder if I was watching the right film. I understand that, and I do think that was something that we talked about. And then... The same gentleman also commented on episode 22, which was Daimajine. The armor the Daimajine statue wore was from the Kofun period, which spanned from 300 to 530 AD. From the perspective of the characters, the Daimajine statue was about 1,000 years old. Mm-hmm. That is very true. Thank you. Thank you very much for, t- uh, for bringing that up. <laughs> what is this? Bitterine Goji 94... Sur- on the episode 57 on Rodan. Surrender, Dorothy! Rodan. <laughs> we, we made, Kim and I made that joke in there when he was flying around making a smoke trail. Let's see. That's not... 
Kzorase7875 just wrote, A bird as big as a battleship! For episode 66, which was on the giant claw. So, yeah, there you go. All right, episode 53. Godzilla raids again with Michael Hamilton. From Ethan Reynolds, 3522. Hi there. Love this mini analysis of Godzilla raids again. I first discovered this movie when my big brother's friends let me borrow it. Thank you. Oh, hope you make a video about Godzilla versus Megalon. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming, sir. Then we have this very long and involved one from Ethan Reynolds on episode 63, King Kong versus Godzilla, which had Alyssa Goji Geek or Alyssa Charpentier. I don't know exactly what's going on with her these days, but I would absolutely love to have her on the show again. She is one of the good people in the fandom, and it's it disappoints me that she that she just got so stressed out with it that she left. It just makes me sad. All right. Anyway, Ethan Reynolds says, Hey there, love your podcast. I uh, love your podcast of your mini analysis of this film. I think the, I think the film is very good, but I don't feel that it doesn't hold up as well as it once did long ago. At its core, the film is basically a Japanese remake of the 1933 King Kong merged with a sequel to Godzilla raids again, 1955, but it's still an enjoyable film. I've been writing an AU fic, an alternate universe fanfic, about this film for a while. In this version of the movie, instead of Kong fighting in Godzilla, oh, fighting Godzilla in Japan, it is instead in San Francisco, USA. Plenty of the characters are different as well. Gia from Godzilla vs. Kong is in it, and the two Americans named Stanley Livingston and Buzz Johnson are based off two characters from an Abbott and Costello movie. And the best of all, Carl Denham from the original Kong is in it. Now, this is not a sequel to the original Kong from the 1930s. When the two men arrive on the island to see if Kong is real, they meet Carl Denham, who has adopted Gia as his own daughter and finds the island inhabited by giant animals and prehistoric beasts. Gorosaurus and Baragon are in it, and Kong fights both of them. What do you think? Actually, this sounds like a fun little romp, I have to say. Very interesting take on this story. I'd be curious to see how that plan, uh, how that played out for you. And then we have Dune Boon again on episode 16, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, where I had Luke and his brother Jason on. And he says, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is one of my favorite giant monster movies because it establishes a fantasy world where kaiju are part of day-to-day -day life. The scene where Mothra's twin fairies make a guest appearance on TV as celebrities hammers home that point, although I think Sekizawa was toying around with the fairies because the actresses who portrayed them, Emi and Yumi Ito, were celebrities in real life. In any case, I do I, that's probably true, which means he was doing a meta-commentary uh, in this movie before he did it in Gigan. What are you talking about, Nathan? Well, just wait until you hear the Godzilla vs. Gigan episode this season. Oh, next season, I should say. Let me see. So he goes on. In any case, I wasn't aware of that when I saw this movie when I was a kid. What I saw was a movie that not only accepted its fantasy elements as part of life, but celebrated them rather than trying to destroy them. Most other giant monster movies eradicated their monsters to get, to the, uh, to get the world back to normal. As a youngster, which, uh, which world would you immerse yourself in? The world of Ghidorah, the th of Ghidra, I should say, the three-headed monster, where Godzilla and Rodan uh, end the movie as heroes, or the Beast in 20,000 Fathoms, where the movie ends with a re dead Redosaurus and a burning roller coaster in the background. 
Well, when you put it that way, there's only one choice. I go with the burning roller coaster. No, I'm kidding. Another reason why I love this movie is that it gave the kaiju distinct personalities and goals. I had seen the movies Godzilla and Rodan prior to seeing Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. I think I've probably been... My brain's been reading Ghidra as Ghidorah the, most of this time until I just now caught it. Sorry. Those movies established the monsters of Godzilla and Rodan as unrelenting engines of destruction. So by the time I saw Ghidra, seeing Godzilla and Rodan rescue Mothra was a jaw-dropping plot twist. Plus, I love Godzilla and Rodan, and because of that, I never bought into the idea that they were as evil as the signature films made them out to be. That scene vindicated what I believed. Some fans view the monster behavior in Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster as a downward trend in kaiju movies because of the humor that was incorporated into action and so forth. I disagree. I see it as character development. The giant monster series is not going to survive if all the monster does is step on things and serve as a metaphor for social commentary. You can start there, but you need to move on. Very true. I don't think we could have had an entire series of Godzilla 54s. We've gotten a few movies like that since then. You know, Return of Godzilla, Shin Godzilla, minus one. But you know, there's no way you could have made an entire franchise like that. Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster has been the primary influence on my writing. Oh, wait, is Dune Boon, is this one of, the se or one of several names used by Neil? I think so, now that I think about it. Anyway. Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster has been the primary influence on my writing. The kaiju in my novels have their own distinct personalities and goals. They are not just a menace that roars in anger and, and smash things, as Nate from Monster Island Film Vault will be able to testify once he has an opportunity to read my books. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. I'm still trying to catch up on that. And then we had a guy who says, Cuban Pete, 1990, left a comment on the half-human episode which is episode seven but the japanese version and the american version of half human 1955 1958 was never was never released on dvd or blu-ray but how about the criterion collection will, will remaster two different versions like the japanese version and american version i would love it if they did that i really want them to get that out of hiding and just let people engage with it i've said that before you might think it's controversial but you can't just hide it away and pretend it didn't happen. You need to engage with it. And, you know, how are we supposed to know if something is bad if we don't get to see it, you know, and learn from it? Here on the third anniversary live stream, Doom Boo says, Younger and Reptilicus and Gargo, three of my favorite non-Japanese giant monsters. I'm looking forward to those episodes. They are coming, sir. They are coming. All right. Kaiju 101 and other tales from Ramacon 2022. Dune Boon. This was a little bonus episode that I did. Good work on mentioning Space Monster Ring Mongwe along with Yongari, Monster from the Deep. Yongari often takes the credit as the first and only South Korean kaiju movie, which is unfortunate because it's definitely not the only one. And then from German English Engineer 2054, this was for the live stream the uh, the memorial live stream for Jason David Frank of Power Rangers fame. He wrote, Hello, gentlemen and ladies. Thank you for sharing this post live. I did sign up to watch Monday evening, but missed your podcast. Watching while I work now. I am not as well versed on JDF trivia, but I really enjoyed his work on the show, and it hurt my heart when I learned he called it quits permanent on life. It... 
It is what it is. I understand that. But with him being my childhood hero, this has been a rough week. I am disappointed at the news and have been asking why for the last week. As many of you, as with many of you, I wish I met Mr. Frank in person. Sometimes a few more people in your corner can make a big difference. And I do think that is a major lesson that we can take from that unfortunate tragedy with Jason David Frank. I I was one of the people in that stream who had the privilege of meeting him, and it was, jeez, oh it was just months before he died, which was just surreal. And he was in Indianapolis, which is only about two hours away from where I live, I think a week before he died. And sometimes I wish I had taken the opportunity to go see him again. I don't know if I could have made a difference, but or or maybe I just would have been a little too rocked by the idea of seeing him a week before he died. You know, that was that was a hard time and that's why I made the changes that I did to the uh, to the script when I, I covered the the MMPR the movie made some in the story segment and that ended up being a tribute to him more so than I was expecting. I went through and made it even more of a tribute. And then I got Joey Sorlis to play the character on there when he's just done so marvelously well with him on power Rangers, the audio drama. It was such a privilege to have him there. I have to say, so, you know, I, I really love, you know, how that turned out. And, you know, it's just one of those things you don't realize how important someone is in your life until they're gone. And I think for a lot of people, you know, he was taken from us too young and, you know, it's just, it's just so weird now. I'm getting to the point in life where a lot of the celebrities, it's funny. I have this wall of this collage on my wall in my apartment, in my living room, this of uh, photos of me meeting celebrities. And I think, feel like at least a third of them now the ones that are on the wall they're dead now it's crazy to think about that you know akira takarada and now kampachira satsuma it's just if you want to meet these people these artists who have worked on the things that you love do whatever you can to seize upon that opportunity because you never know if they're still going to be around for you to do it later we did not expect Jason David Frank to die because he was still pretty young. Wasn't even 50 yet. You would think we got all the time in the world. And then we're reminded that we don't. And it's always a shock when it happens. And I think it should be a shock. Anyone who tells you that you should just be used to death as just a natural part of existence I disagree. The fact that for most people, death still remains a shock. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a very good thing. If I can put on my, you know, my Christianity hat here for a few minutes, I, I personally believe that death was never supposed to be part of God's design for the universe. It was added due to the introduction of sin. And that's why we recoil to it so much it's because it isn't natural and any christians who i think who try to act like death is this is such a better thing compared to life because we get to go see jesus in the afterlife i'm like i understand the sentiment but it's weirdly morbid and i think 
dangerously close to some variation on nihilism, and I reject it wholeheartedly. Rejected it wholeheartedly. So thank you for watching that live stream. And I, I hope it brought a little bit of comfort and such to you to know that there were other people who were in the same shoes as you mourning the loss of someone they admired. All right. So <laughs> the Epic A Studios, this was a, a bonus episode I reposted the Night of the Leapus episode I did on Kaiju Weekly, <laughs> which had one of my favorite things that I've ever done in, as a podcaster because that was at a time where Kaiju Weekly would make these fake ads that tied in with the episode somehow. And since it was Night of the Leapus, it's, a, it's, a, it's an early 70s movie about giant killer rabbits. So I, I made a, a fake commercial for the holy hand grenade of Antioch from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which was used to destroy the killer rabbit. And I'm, he, so he wrote, dang, it started with the holiest of bangs. Uh, that was, I was very proud of that. Very, very proud of that. And then Epic Ace also, oh, yeah, I've already read that one. We talked, uh, we talked about Power Rangers 2017. Let me see. Do, 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 do. Uh, that's some more YouTube short things, some spammy things. All right. Episode 78, Godzilla versus Biolante, yeah, which was a bit of an impromptu episode to help Kim promote her Kickstarter for Erica, which unfortunately didn't quite work, but still. All right. And this is from Luke Giaconetti. He says, for a time... Godzilla vs. Biollante was the ne plus ultra of Godzilla for me. At the time, this film was available in the U.S. on video or HBO, and none of the later ones were, so even after G85, this absolutely blew my mind, and it still holds up now. Thanks for the episode, Nathan. Yeah, I was... You know what? That's something. I'm really glad, in retrospect, given the death of Kempichiro Satsuma, I'm glad that I was able to at least on MIFV anyway, talk about one of his movies before his passing. And I wish I had been able to do more. It's one of the things that does kind of bother me about the, the del frequent delays in season three is that I could have gotten to more of them. I could have by this point gotten into the, into the Heisei series with Godzilla Redux. I would have talked about Hedera and Gigan and Megalon, which had him in it. You know, I, so yeah, but in response to that, yeah, I think honestly, Biolante, Biolante and G85, I think have aged the best out of the Heisei movies for sure. The, the nineties Heisei movies, I know there are people who still love them and more power to you if you can, but they don't impress me nearly as much as those ones from the eighties do. And they still had budgets, and there was still a lot of creativity going into them. And the, the scripts were technically better? <laughs> technically? Eh. Uh, uh, and Biolante is at least weird. I'll say that. King Ghidorah, I mean, I'll get into it. I'm eventually going to have an episode on it. And Danny and I have done panel presentation on this. King Ghidorah is wild, but I don't... That, that that script is so broken and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then speaking of losing people, 
MIP Max, number six. I'm remembering Kira Takarada. Julian Boba Fett fan, 5226, wrote, I'm so sad when Akira, uh, I was, I'm so sad when Akira Takarada died. He was one of my favorite Japanese actors. Yeah, that's true for a lot of us. And then Dune Boon left several comments on MIFE Max number 22, which was about G-Fest. Danny and I are talking about G-Fest. And he wrote, I'm pretty sure this is Neil. Like, I'm even more sure this is Neil. So I guess Neon, he's had, he has two accounts, Dune Boon and Neon Riley. Huh. The Atricon panel is one of my favorites. It was awesome that you did a deep dive into the issue of Japanese soldiers being left behind on the battlefield after the war was over. And as you have mentioned in your panel, some of them were not repatriated until years afterward. The topic fascinates me, and if I could do a remake, I'd dedicate more screen time to that aspect of the film's plot to that subject. And then he also added, the turnout for the writer's panel was the same as other years, which was amazing considering Yumiko was the competition. That is pretty amazing. I I was a little annoyed that we got put up against quite, you know, by far the most popular celebrity guest there that year, you know, this year, I should say. And we still had a really great turnout. And Dune Boone, uh, Neil, here at the end says, that pizza looks so good because this was a live stream, so it's got pictures. <laughs> yeah, it was really good, Neil. Ne- ne- next year for G-Fest, you need to hang out with me on Thursday. And go to the theater and go to go to Giordano's. That's just our tradition anymore. All right, let me see. You know what? I will read this one. So Joseph Gibson, 5902. This was on the... And this is actually exclusive to YouTube. This was the One Monstrous Moment Rebirth Edition. And this was for... This was a little something that Bex and I did talking about Toto from Gamera Rebirth. You know, One Monstrous Moment is a little... It was a little prompt i guess you could say that ryan the omniviewer collins puts out whenever there's a new major kaiju release in this case it was game or rebirth so this guy says i'm pretty sure the that the japanese title was little braves gamera so you're probably right about that meaning the kids thank you for that confirmation and bex did reply to him and said that's the only way the title made sense to me especially focusing on this scene thank you so much for watching which I think Kiyoe actually mentioned a little bit of that, at least in her subject line for the first email that I read you know, with this coverage. And then one more here. One more here. We have a very involved comment from the latest MIFV Max member who has been communicating with me quite frequently on Patreon, which I really appreciate. Edwin Gonzalez. And he wrote on MIFE Max 24, number 24, which was for the fourth anniversary. He says, hey, this is Ed. Call me Zed. Juan Johns. I usually see the aftermath of live streams. Love that I could catch last night. I love the show. Keep up what you're doing. Thank you, Damon, for your voice. You reflect, you're reflected on what you did. Played these games and let us see a bit of a future. Thank you, Nate. You're one of the great fans who's out there being positive. Thank you so much, Edwin. I really appreciate it. The whole episode is going to be my background noise as I write. Just wanted to clear up the Rogue Sun comment I made. Rogue Sun is this image comic that's part of their new shared universe. Most of it 
Uh, most, if not all of that, I believe, is written by people who wrote for the Power Rangers Boom Comics. Ooh, that sounds exciting. It's part of their Tokusatsu-inspired comics. Oh, man, I wish I could get in on that. I have ideas for Tokusatsu-inspired comics. Even though he has the whole Flaming Knight theme, my favorite part was the Massive Verse. Rogue's son, and it's S-U-N, by the way, was specifically made by the man who wrote the Ninja Turtles Rangers crossover, Ryan Parrott. It's not a typical superhero tale. The main character is uh, the main character Dylan is basically the equivalent of Flash Thompson and Nick from Mystic Force combined. Ooh, that's mm, that's a dangerous combination. Not the most likable guys and has a lot of his own issues. He's a jerk, a bully, but has his standards. He inherits his estranged father's role as the rogue son, a hero against the supernatural in New Orleans. Ooh. Ooh, I have some friends who would find that really exciting. The pages are amazing. The lore they build is insane. You feel for the character, maybe more if you're dealing with certain things in your life as some people do. I understand that. Literally, there's a story arc as a metaphor for divorce and step-parents. Dylan actually gets called out for his behavior and calls people out in the end. Thank you. And there's a lot of awful or jerk people in the comic. Uh, with and within reason but the whole point is that the main character gets better over time and then gets knocked down nothing is as it seems but it's good i just connect with it not like how people connect with annie from monster island oh annie that was that's the monster that's the skull island Uh, he means the skull island anime oh boy all right thank you have a good day and This comment especially was one of the reasons that I wanted to put this little recording together because I hearing stuff like that, and I know this is going to sound cocky, but you know, hearing stuff like that and how much people appreciate the work that I do and not just me, but everybody. I mean, he talked about Damon too. And Edwin has been very vocal on patreon with talking to me about different things and expressing his appreciation for the show which has been wonderful because it's nice to know that what i'm putting out into the world is being appreciated that it's helping people edwin has been especially vocal about how he uses it to get through his day and i've heard from other people who have shared similar stories and I really do want to be a positive influence. Yeah, I'll go into a rant master, you know, it's to be funny if I don't like something and and all of that, but it's all meant to be just in good fun. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to annoy anybody and sometimes people don't get the joke and that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. I mean, I mentioned that I got some weird reviews on iTunes, but at least I had people who hated me enough to actually write one-star reviews instead of just leaving one-star ratings. Just saying. So, like I said, I really appreciate all the feedback that I've gotten, and I wanted to make sure that it was shared on the air. Some of it might have just been shared for the second time. I don't know. If it was, you got a bonus. Congratulations. But I wanted to make sure I got all of that taken care of because I wanted to keep it timely. I don't want people to wait 
two years to you know hear you know to get a reply to their email. I just didn't think that was fair, especially with all the maybe even three years. I don't know, especially with all the delays that have been happening with the show. Because I wanted to express my appreciation to you, the kaiju lovers, the listeners, for giving me your time and attention. You don't have to do that, as Kiowa said in that one of those first emails that I read. There are lots of options for you to listen to out there, even in the Kaiju and Tokusatsu sphere in English. So the fact that you have chosen my show and invested that time and attention in it, in listening, and then written into me to interact with me in that way, I really appreciate it. And please keep it coming. I love listener feedback. I absolutely adore listener feedback. So it turned out after I finished that initial recording that there were still a few YouTube comments that I needed to get to because they pertain to episodes. And I'm going to read a few of the Apple Podcast reviews. All right. So really quick, somebody wrote on the MIFV Max 18, which was when I talked about going to All Monsters Attack 2 in Chicago. It says, buddy, this is from... E Prohoda, I hope I said that right. Says, buddy, what a awesome, comma, smiley faces, winky face. I don't know what exactly he means by that. What a awesome. Okay. Well, you know, thanks anyway. All right. And then from Dune Boon, so Neil, <laughs> on the Tokusatsu 101 JFAX panel, he says, which I did post the audio version on the podcast feed. It's a superb panel. You don't get enough credit as a Tokusatsu slash Kaiju scholar. Well, thank you, Neil. I'm glad somebody notices around here. All right. And then, oh, that's, uh, that is spam. That is spam. And then, bonus episode 14, I was at Zillafoot, <laughs> which was a fun episode. Uh, Enshoma? Enshoma. He wrote, Zilpha represents just how crazy the kaiju fandom currently is. I, the crimson weirdo, was just being silly for the sake of silliness. Still, though, this was an extremely fun listen, and thanks for the kind words on my three contribution slash segments, despite, again, I am ultimately a part of the problem in the end. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I, I, I did find your segments uh, enjoyable, and it's nice to know that that's the face with this username because I've seen you pop up in some of Kim's live streams and things like that. And, uh, you, you know, that might have been some over-analysis on Elijah's part, but he has to elevate that movie somehow because it's straight-up schlock and he was in it. So <laughs> he has to justify him being in it somehow somehow and then godzilla versus biolante dune boon shameless self-promotion it's my only weakness nate marjan <laughs> thanks thanks that's that is the truth that is the truth and let me see i don't remember if i talked about this this is a comment from luke jack and eddie also on episode 78 he said for a time GVB, Godzilla vs. Biollante, was the nay plus ultra of Godzilla for me. 
At the same time, this film was available on the U- uh, in the U.S. on video or HBO, and none of the later ones were. So even after G85, this absolutely blew my mind. And it still holds up now. Thanks for the episode, Nathan. In case I already read that one, my apologies for the repetition. Like I said, I'm just trying to be thorough. And again, I might have already read this one, but uh, no, I think I read that one already. The Yeah, I already read that one. So let's see. So MIFE Max number 22, which was on G-Fest. No, I already read those. I already read those. So here's one from Joseph Gittin. No, I already read that one too. Like I said, I'm just being thorough here. Do, 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 do. All right, from, you know, episode 79. This one I know I didn't read. The This was for Jurassic Park. This is from Beck, so Redeemed Otaku. It says, this was so much fun. Thank you again for having me on to talk about my favorite movie. You're welcome, Bex, and I would... I always love having you on the show. And then for episode 80, Luke Giaconetti. This was on the Asylum's Monster Island. Since it was published right before Thanksgiving, He Luke says, thanks for roasting the turkey for us, Nathan. <laughs> and then he has a nervous emoji. You're welcome. I had a good time with that. And then finally, on the simple heroism of Jet Jaguar, which was on the Operation Jet Jaguar short, which, is, which was part of... Minus one monstrous moment put on by Ryan the Omniviewer Collins. Donnie Winner says, wonderful discussion and thank you for the shout out, my friend. You are welcome, Donnie, and I am looking forward to... Here's a crazy announcement for you in case you haven't seen it already. I'm having Donnie on the show in season four. He's coming on for The New Empire in April, along with a mystery guest who I will reveal later on, but... He's a big deal. That's all I'll say. And then we have a comment from the Omni viewer himself where he says, he mother never really love him, but the rest of us sure do. Yes, we do. I have a strange appreciation for that smiley robot. I'm going to end up with a lot of Jet Jaguar figures. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun to talk about. And I love that short. I absolutely adore that short. And I can't say enough nice things about it. If you join MIFE Max on Patreon, you can see me do a bunch of funny meme videos. I did post one publicly on Twitter or X, whatever, Twix, Twitix, whatever, where I put it to the touch by Stan Bush. And if you join MIFE Max, you'll see a whole bunch of other ones that I did. I'm even taking requests if anybody has any. And then bonus commentary on the same episode wrote, this short had no right being this good. Loved it. Thanks for chatting about it. You are welcome, Mr. Bonus Commentary. I'd love to have you on the show, too, by the way. You've made some very nice contributions in the chat when I've been on Kim's streams and things like that. I've watched some of your videos. You do good stuff. I like what you do. All right, and you're right. It has no business being that good. The fact that it is as good as it is, I'm so much untapped potential, I'm just saying, for... Jet Jaguar. Bring back Jet Jaguar. Dang it. So I'm going to read the mo- the most recent, from what I can tell, most recent reviews that have been posted on, on Apple Podcasts. Well, except for these one stars, I'm not going to... You know who you guys are, maybe. My assumption is that you guys 
either didn't listen to a single episode or you listened to one, or even if you listened to one, you maybe listened to five or 10 minutes. I don't know because most of your most of your feedback, I find highly dubious to say the least. One is accusing me of trying to proselytize for Christianity on the show. I don't know what you're talking about. And also I'm part of a podcaster click and we glad hand each other. So you hate me because I have friends. Sir, you need some help. You need some help. You really do. You really do. So anyway, I, I because uh, because of those, I find what you say to be highly dubious. But I'll give you credit. You're the only two of my haters who had the guts to actually write a scathing review with their one-star ratings. So... At least you put your money where your mouth is. I'll give you that. But we got Nasty in the Pasty, who's with uh, the subject line, they got me giggling, said, these folks had me laughing. Thanks, dudes. Well, thank you, because I do think we have a pretty entertaining show. And then from Luke Giaconetti, El Jacone, fun and informative podcast, he writes, fun and informative podcast from an enthusiastic kaiju fan. Nathan covers all sorts of, all, all sorts of angles in his pursuit of enlightenment via kaiju movies. Definitely worth a listen. Thanks, Luke. I always appreciate that. As I've said before, you and Kyle Yount on KaijuCast well, the first two kaiju podcasts that I listened to, and I took a lot of inspiration from what both of you did. So hearing that from you is high praise. And then we have the kaiju rock movie list. Okay. Also five star, just like Luke's. We published just last month from Elijah T13. I know who you are, sir. I was a little excited when I saw the new review, and then I saw who it was from. I'm like, oh. I'll accept it anyway, basically. This show is so much fun to listen to. Nathan and his cohorts are enlightening, are entertaining and enlightening for any fan of the genre to listen to. I would recommend it to anyone and everyone. I see you're praising yourself a little bit there, sir. Sir. All right. With that, we're going to go back to the original recording and finish things up. Leave us comments on YouTube that I can read or... Even better, you can email us at monsterislandfilmvault at gmail.com. And as long as you give us permission to do so, I will read them on the air and respond to them on the air. But thanks to this little bonus episode, I'll be able to edit a few things out to tighten things up for the upcoming episodes in season and then hopefully by the time I catch up with where I left off <laughs> with my recordings for season four, because I got a, a little less than half of it done, I'll be able to share even more wonderful feedback from the wonderful kaiju lovers and the wonderful, wonderful listeners. I love it. I absolutely love it. 2024 is going to be a great year. I'm sure of it. Merry Christmas. Merry belated Christmas, I should say. Merry, oh, happy belated, I should say. New Year. See you in 2024. Sayonara. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. 
So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! Sayonara!